On this week's episode of the Pro Se Movie Club, we're talking about Liar Liar, a 1997 Jim Carrey vehicle that's essentially an entire film reverse engineered out of a lawyer joke. At the center is Fletcher Reed, a deeply dishonest man who excels in the legal profession but has essentially destroyed his personal life. His wife Audrey has divorced him, and his son Max is routinely disappointed with him. After the latest failure, Max makes a magical birthday wish that his father would stop lying for 24 hours, and lo and behold, it comes true. Hilarity ensues, lessons are learned, planes are grounded? Let's talk Liar Liar. <laughs> And why is that, Mr. Reed? Because it's devastating to my case! Overruled. Good call! I'm Jose Canseco! <laughs> I'm not Jose Canseco. I am Bill Donahue. Here to talk about movies on the Pro Se Movie Club. We're talking about Liar Liar this week. Personal favorite of mine. I am still upset that we're not talking about Big Daddy, but look, Liar Liar will do. <laughs> uh, here to join me is Amber McKinney. Happy to be here. And Alex Lawson. Here's something that's not a lie. I'm very excited to be on the podcast with you guys <laughs> this week. I, I will say, I think you guys are slightly more excited about this movie than I am. But I looked up what Roger Ebert had to say about it when the movie came out. Sure. And I think it was 97 this one came out. Mm-hmm. Um, he gave it three stars and his review started this way. I am gradually developing a suspicion, or perhaps it's a fear, that Jim Carrey is growing on me. (laughs) That's kind of the feeling I have, guys. I'm not, I will disclose right up top, I'm not a huge Jim Carrey fan, but if you're into anything Jim Carrey at all, this is kind of peak Jim Carrey. Yeah, I mean, as someone who was, uh, you know, between the ages of seven and like 12 during these years, there wasn't a whole lot of like Jim Carrey had to grow on you. It was sort of primely aimed directly at we're we're like close in age but just far enough away that that's maybe why you guys have a fonder (laughs) spot in your heart for this than i do yeah i was my i remember very very vividly my dad took me to see this i was 11 or 12 when this came out and i was at that age i was the kind of kid who like told jokes and acted out (laughs) attention seeking real only child behavior stuff (laughs) i know i know this is crazy stuff um and I remember when I saw this, I obviously had seen other Jim Carrey movies. I was a huge fan. But this is when I was like, I, I walked out of the movie and I was like, this is the funniest a human being can possibly be. <laughs> we have unlocked it. Like, we've we've killed God and Jim Carrey <laughs> is like levitating above the floor in front of everybody. I couldn't believe it. Um, like, I don't quite still feel that. I mean, my, my comedic senses have developed a little bit more. But like, at, like, like you say, Amber, at this time... Um, just all of the factors coalescing. And this is a, this is also the first time that they kind of soften Jim Carrey a little bit. This is where um, it's not just absurdist, gross-out stuff. He learns a lesson about being a better dad at the end of the movie. This is sort of like a big pivot to like family type of stuff. Mm-hmm. So he's really kind of trying to have it all here. And it's um, it's quite a thing to behold. Well, let's let's talk about Carrie because he was in the middle of a stretch of rid- a ridiculous run of movies. Yeah, go, yeah, rattle them off. Well, it was Ace Ventura was 94, yeah. which was the big breakout. And as you said, a ridiculous sort of over yeah. the top thing. Um, followed up by The Mask, Dumb and Dumber, Batman Forever, This... The Truman Show, Man on the Moon, The Grinch, 
Bruce Almighty and Eternal Sunshine over I, a 10-year period from 94 to 2004. Well, I think you're doing some Cable Guy erasure there. So I want to yes. say that. And the only reason <laughs> I say that is because Cable Guy comes out immediately before this. And uh, Liar Liar is the second consecutive Jim Carrey movie to feature someone getting assaulted in a bathroom. <laughs> oh. uh, uh, anyway, but that's that's a digression. That's an insane, that's an insane run of movies. Well, and it's insane because of the mix of... They were some of them. Some of those movies were very critically acclaimed. You yeah. know, the Eternal Sunshine and the Truman Show, yeah, and yeah. honestly, this has yeah. eighty four on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, but he was also just the biggest star in the world. It mm -hmm. was. I mean, the, uh, Bruce Almighty made like five hundred million dollars around the world. These yes. were just huge movies. So you just don't see it that much from, and certainly not nowadays, from a comedic star to be like the world's biggest movie star. Mm -hmm. I mean, as you said, Bill, when you set up this movie, it. It essentially all boils down to a basic lawyer joke that they stretch for 90 minutes. Yeah. Um, but I think what you're saying about Jim Carrey being such a bright star at this time explains why they get really a stellar supporting cast here, too. And that elevates this movie up a notch. I love Maura Tierney, so I think we should definitely talk about her as as the ex-wife in this movie. Yeah. Sure. Well, yeah, especially since she doesn't figure in too much into the legal sort of part of the movie. That's a sort of side quest and for our purposes. Maura Tierney is uh, the boss uh, she carried carried some later seasons of ER. Uh -huh. uh, I don't know if you were watching ER at that time. Post Clooney I, ER. Post Clooney, post, post Anthony Edwards too when they yep. killed Dr. Mark Green. I would argue she was one of the best parts of the affair also. Oh yeah, yep. big time. Uh, I, I think I only watched one season of that but she was the, she's like the spurned oh, wife. Oh, you right? miss later seasons where you get segments from her perspective. It's oh, very good. Yeah. Uh, uh, anyway, she's, she's good in everything and this is no exception. Carrie Elwes. Carrie Elwes. Uh, Amazing in Here. everything he's in. Yes. <laughs> uh, uh, the overeager, he's a hospital administrator. Yeah. <laughs> which he reminds us of. Although I was reading the <laughs> script before we were doing this, and originally he was supposed to be a baseball scout, which really would have oh, amped have changed up it a lot. The, the, like, uh, you know, that the, there's the whole baseball thing well, with the I sun. And yeah, well, I wanted to... If you'll humor us for a second, Amber, uh, what what is your opinion on the before we unpack the sort of legal, yeah. uh, uh, you know, parameters here? What's your opinion on this as a baseball movie? Was there a kid our age who didn't go baseball stuff <laughs> at any opportunity in the ensuing years? Here? Sure, I wouldn't say the movie is a baseball. No, movie. I know, but it's, uh, it's baseball footprint. But I mean, you, you don't get many Hideo Nomo uh, references in in movies. This might be the only one. I looked up, uh, I promise, just like 10 more seconds on this, Amber. Uh, <laughs> just because I knew I, I wanted to talk about this with you. I looked up the Hideo Nomo, Jose Canseco career uh, uh, stats. Sure. Only nine appearances. Canseco 0 for 6 against him. Uh -huh. Three walks, three strikeouts, one RBI. Okay. Anyway. You know, uh, we, we've let Pro Se have an offshoot that's a movie podcast. I draw the line at a sports okay. show. I just, that's that, that's all I got on the baseball okay. stuff. Okay. The baseball stuff. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, Jennifer Tilly is the, mm -hmm. uh, the sort of uh, the client who is a cheating spouse. Uh, Swoozy Kurtz is the opposing counsel who was also excellent, had to act across from... Jim yes. Carrey, which is no small, no small task. Um, yes, this movie made three hundred and two million dollars at the box office, which again just bonkers for mm -hmm. a sort of run of the mill comedy film, um, and for a, like such a one note comedy. Like I mean, as as Amber said, yeah. I mean it's like it's the 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 pitch is wind Jim Carrey up and let him go, and right. uh, and that is box office gold at this time. I guess that's also the appeal, though, right? I mean, yes. if you like Jim Carrey, this is a good movie for you. Yes. Two more fun facts. Uh, directed by a guy named Tom Shadiak, mm -hmm. who was sort of 
Carrie's muse at yes. this point. He he did he wrote and directed Ace Ventura, the first one, mm-hmm. uh, Liar Liar, and Bruce Almighty. So you know, <laughs> big lucrative films. Yeah, um, he did he did Nutty Professor before this. Yeah. He's a big studio comedy guy. And Patch time. Adams mm-hmm. with Robin Williams. Yes. Uh, yes. The other big thing that I thought was very interesting that I saw, and this could be unconfirmed, but I saw that Judd Apatow apparently did a um, uncredited script doctoring on this one he was i don't yeah i i don't know if that's that he was he was lurking around hollywood comedy circles at this time yeah. if you read uh any anything he's written like but an early books and stuff an early judd apatow appearance pass through anything else from you guys big takes on the on the the flick before we get into the the, just, the big legal scenes i just kind of want to pose an overarching question that we can answer as we go through the scenes is fletcher a good attorney because i wonder <laughs> it throughout the entire movie and i think there's evidence that points both ways. So I'm not sure what to take away about what this movie's telling me. Right. I think it's I think it's pretty clear that he's good um in terms of results based. He's just not terribly ethical. Well, then does that mean the movie is trying to say that you can only be a good attorney if you are unethical? I mean, <laughs> I that's, think that's, ex- that's weird. That's right? exactly what they're saying. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, not to put too fine a point on it. Um one last thing cuz before we uh, get into it, uh um, in a very minor role, did you guys catch the cameo on the uh, courthouse steps? In the fir- it's not the first scene, but the first uh, scene outside the courthouse mm. uh, when F- when Fletcher says uh, another victory for the wrongly accused. Mm-mm. He is speaking to Chris Darden of ah. OJ case. <laughs> so that's and that's very fun, especially considering the line that he delivers to him. No, um, and prime nineteen ninety seven. But that's another interesting sort of you know what we didn't get in the final film. That was originally supposed to be a there was supposed to be a first opening scene where he's representing someone who uh, hit a cop and <laughs> and then he was blaming the cop for everything. So it's uh, there was there was a lot of stuff that that. Uh, you know, we could have we could have gotten here about Fletcher that would have made him even perhaps even more contemptible than yeah, probably. Yeah, I think it kind of goes without saying that if people remember this movie from when they watched it or if they've caught it on cable recently or something, there's a lot of this movie that is very of a time that really wouldn't fly now. No, absolutely. Um, a lot, lot of these movies that we've been watching, yeah, just yeah. little moments that you sort of have to view them in their in their own time frame. Um, all right, well, let's get to yeah. the big legal scenes. Um, before we get to our first one, we will sort of get you get you there. Uh, you know, we get we we are introduced to Fletcher as Alex said on the 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 courthouse steps after he has uh, won a case. We get the sense that this is a very dishonest man. Um, uh, there's some early scene setting. We meet our main characters. We meet his wife Audrey. We meet his son Max, and then we get down to his life at his big law firm where he seemingly does criminal defense and also divorce. This guy law? does it all. Just say, <laughs> spray salt fields. Yes. This is just one of those movies where it just assumes people think lawyers cover everything. Yeah. It's just like, what do you, you're a lawyer. You do all this, right? Right. Um, so we first, the, the first thing we're going to talk about is when we meet uh, Fletcher's sort of evil partner boss, Miranda, mm-hmm. um, who is uh, positioned as a partner at the firm, Fletcher's sort of direct report. Um, and we meet her as she's, trying to convince an attorney to take on a case. We don't know the case yet. We will come to learn the case and convince him that he needs to take this case, even if that requires lying. I can't do it. Fred, it's your duty to present the strongest case possible. The strongest case possible, consistent with the truth. Will you let the judge decide what's true? That's what he gets paid for. You get paid to win. If you insist, 
and I take it to trial. I will represent Mrs. Cole aggressively and ethically. But Miranda, I won't lie. Then we'll just have to find someone who will. So right away, we get a sense of who this character Miranda is, and it sort of sets the scene for, you know, there are... There are attorneys at this firm that will choose not to lie and choose to act eth- ethically. Mm-hmm. Fletcher is probably not going to be one of those. Yeah, I. Uh, it's a it's a very easy way to show a cutthroat culture or whatever at, at a firm, especially when you're positioning you know certain attorneys against them against each other within the firm. I've seen this. Um, I've seen this movie enough times that. Uh, very stray observations trickle into my head. I always wonder what happened to this guy who uh, turns down the case. <laughs> sure. Was he, was there retribution? Was he passed over for big assignments, cases, partnership? Um, these are things that can be explored in the Liar Liar cinematic universe. The Liar Liar fanfic yeah, that right. you and I have been working on for years <laughs> is going that, to please, explore this. That's not ready for the people to hear about yet. Let's not talk about that anymore. So Miranda <laughs> gets the idea in her head that now she will take this to Fletcher and she come and sort of pitches him on the idea of the there is this there is this case and she needs him to work on it and uh you know we see him we see her dangling this partnership to him oh, how much ass do i have to kiss to make partner in this damn place tell her i broke my leg and i had to be shot why don't you tell her yourself and then send out a notice of judgment on my win today i'll get right on it Miranda! Hey, I didn't see you. You look beautiful today. Here, I bought you a gift. Oh, thanks. I heard about your victory. Congratulations. You know, you're making quite an impression on the partnership committee. Oh, that's right. You folks are meeting again soon. I've just been keeping myself so busy, I haven't even thought about it. (laughs) Anyway, I have a client in my office. Better not keep him waiting. Actually, Fletcher, something rather important's just come up. Um, you're not busy tonight, are you? We're not going, are we? And of course, Fletcher responds to this by working overnight, working through the night not taking his son to the thing they were supposed to go to. It's, uh, you know, I, I don't know if you guys have ever heard about a, a lack of work-life balance at big law firms. <laughs> read about that uh, on certain legal news websites, yes. Um, uh, Kerry really nails the, uh, I mean, he's a very physical, he's a very comedic, uh, you know, sort of physical comedy type of actor. Uh, really nails the hag beleaguered lawyer with the, like, documents and the boxes as he comes in the <laughs> right. door. The kid's all despondent. It, uh, it tells you everything you need to know right there. So we quickly learned that Fletcher was working on to prep for this this meeting with uh, a woman named Samantha Cole, who is this wealthy woman who is in divorce proceedings with her husband. Again, this is, you know, a, a, a white shoe law firm handling elite divorce cases. Yeah. Sort of all over the place. The but old, anyway, <laughs> the old the old bell cow divorce case right. for the entire firm. Right. It's very bet important. The, bet the marriage kind yes. of case. Yes. Um, yes. So uh, she has, we learned that she has cheated on her husband many times, but Fletcher really goes out of his way. He has been billed by Miranda as someone who will perhaps massage the truth and find a way to spin the case in her way. Mrs. Cole, the only problem here is that after you've provided years of faithful service and loving support of raising his children, they are his. Oh, yeah, yeah, one for sure. After all that, your husband wants to deny you a fair share of the marital assets based on one single act of indiscretion. Seven. Pardon me? Seven. 
single acts of indiscretion. Seven acts of indiscretion, only one of which he has any evidence of, and all of which he himself is responsible for. Yes? Mrs. Cole, you're the victim here. The wife of a cold, distant workaholic, starved for affection, driven into the arms of another man. Seven. Yeah, whatever. You're not trying to deny him what is rightfully his. All you're insisting on is what is rightfully yours. Yeah. And maybe a fraction more. Bill, I think it's really charitable that you set this up as massaging the truth. <laughs> I think it's pretty clear that he's just like telling her exactly how to lie. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, there's like the extremely... um the very cynical exploitation of like women's rights and like 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 sort of masking it behind this like you know he does the very sort of unsavory Ike and Tina Turner uh comparison um and then just it's it's all part of the like the theatricality of like the presentation right he's doing he's not even in the we can't lie yet uh sphere but he's like clearly like it's it's all about his like this theatricality. He's like belting out like well, these, these she, like she, long when, show tunes almost. Yeah. Crazy. And when he thinks that it's one ca- <laughs> one oh, yeah. one instance of infidelity and se- okay seven cases of infidelity. <laughs> yes, yes, good stuff. <laughs> and then we'll get to the next scene. But I, I I think immediately we get into one of the more problematic scenes in the movie where there's just Amber. We we were talking about this before Look, before we started recording. You know. This happens a lot, but I, all I had to write in my notes was quid pro quo sexual harassment because yeah. we've already established that Miranda's like the evil boss <laughs> yes. and that Fletcher very much wants to be a partner. And she is so blatant in her propositioning of him and saying like, uh, I mean, I'll make you a partner. Like right, it's right. there's no there's no artifice at all. It's. The stretch in the 90s in particular where a lot of movies had this where yeah. it's more on the nose than what like an anti-harassment training video, video yeah. would have in it. It's just really clear. So they've definitely set up a law firm world where Fletcher has no work-life balance. He has no morals or compunction about lying. And his boss is propositioning him for a promotion. It's a pretty bad place. Yeah. And him taking her up on that offer then compounds his own personal problems because he, of course, misses his son's birthday party and uh this is where we get the climact the sort of the 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 turning point of the film where max uh wishes that his dad could not tell a lie we see some breeze blow through the window we are to believe magical breeze magic has happened i i love me like a magical comedy you know like a freaky friday or a big or uh (laughs) just there's no explanation here whatsoever as to why this is happening yeah the mysticism Sure. Yeah. A lot of classic comedies built on this. And and I think this falls right into all the tropes that you actually love to see. Yeah. And it strips away all the artifice from like a cons- from like a premise. And it just says like, we're not even going to explain to you why this is happening. Yeah. It's just such a funny premise that we're going to let Jim Carrey loose in the room and let him run with a, with an idea. I yeah. think they explain it by casting a really cute little boy. Yeah. Just the power of his adorableness uh, makes magic happen. Summons yeah. the good karma yeah. gods or whatever. Yes. So, of course, Fletcher quickly figures out that he no longer can tell lies after uh, Max's wish comes true. Um, this is a problem because Fletcher then has to head to court for this divorce case that he is representing on behalf of Samantha Cole. <laughs> So he gets to court, and that's where things really take off in terms of his inability to tell a lie. It, it, it quickly goes off the rails. How are we doing this morning, Consul? Fine, thank you. And you, Mr. Reed? 
I'm a little upset about a bad sexual episode I had last night. Well, you're still young. It'll happen more and more. In the meantime, what do you say we get down to business? You know, if you catch me on the right day, I think had a bad sexual episode last night might be my favorite joke in the movie. And it's like one of the more downbeat ones. It's none of his like outlandish over the top type of stuff. You know what that's called? That's called maturing with age and having your sensibilities. Oh, that's uh, maturing with age? Develop. Cool, just, cool, cool. Like the way, the way he just kind of casually <laughs> Very casually and very directly he says it. Like in it's, I know we're in a, we're in an audio medium here, but he sort of like looks sort of like he just, there's nothing wrong with what he's saying. He's just very matter of fact. Okay. And, and, and the judge too responding when he yeah. says you're, you're, you're still young. It'll happen more and more. <laughs> that is funny. The judge's yes, retort yes, is the funniest yes. part. I, I do have a fundamental question here, and I know I'm overthinking it, so you guys can just tell me that no, I am yeah. and we can move on. But I get that his little little boy has wished that he can't tell a lie. Yeah. Why can't he just be quiet, though? <laughs> yes. Like, there's scene after scene where the- you would think that just sheerly by the, the training and the way lawyers think that you just fall silent sometimes. We are, we are getting into the distinction between lying and affirmative Truth telling, like yeah. he, he, like so I guess the son essentially omission. didn't wish for him to tell the, for him to not tell a lie. Wish for him to tell the well, truth. And we you mean he didn't swear him in on the stand when he was making his <laughs> uh, his wish, his birthday wish. And we later find we later find out that he can't even like pose questions where he knows there will be a live right. response. Yeah, right. yeah. If, if you pull at the thread of the mythology, it's 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 very tenuous. We do need some again in our liar liar cinematic universe. Yeah, I think yeah, we yeah. need some world building. You know what we the, need a genie. The parameters we need a of this magic is Zoltron. Yeah. We need a something. I think um, we just said that that was what was good about this, but I know, it does I've raise questions. My you're mind. right. You're right. <laughs> yes. Uh, I have a theory though about like why he. And even beyond saying nothing about why his inability to do so, like, um, manifests in these crazy outbursts. Now, the actual answer is because you cast Jim Carrey in the yes, movie, and this is how he was making his bones at the time. Um, I did a lot of, uh, as I said at the beginning of the show, um, did a lot of replicating of that little, I don't even know how to describe it, the little, um, uh, I don't know nonverbal babble that he does to Susie Kurtz before this is before they, they get sworn in uh-huh. the, I mean, I don't, I'm not even gonna, it's so offensive to even like hear in your, in your earbuds. I'm not going to, not going to approximate that right now. Um, but I mean, the answer is because this is, this is what Jim Carrey does. In movies On behalf in, of the listeners, the I'm just going to say, thanks. Thanks. <laughs> I can step back. I can step back and do it. No, I'm not going to do it. No, it's cool. Um, so we get this first scene and then uh, he somehow, I, I don't even remember how, but he gets out of the, the there's a recess for yeah, lunch yeah. or for a few hours. This is also a one crazy day movie. Um, well, it's actually half a day. There's a, uh, there's a trial that starts at 1.30 sharp and it's, and it wraps up by the end of the it's, day. It's in almost <laughs> real time as, yes. from, from here on out. But <laughs> yes. Fletcher goes on an increasingly strange series of sort of uh, escapades looking for, looking for a way to figure out how to get out from this mm-hmm. hex. Drives seemingly all around L.A. during one lunch recess, goes back to the firm, all to no avail. Yeah. Uh, at one point, he he his car gets gets towed, and there's a, a back and forth about small claims court. Oh, I really love that part, but let's save that for things that are right and wrong about this yes, movie, legally we, speaking. We, but, okay. but that's we're, a great we're play scene. Jazz on that. He's got the whole fallout with the secretary. Right. That's in here. Yes. So uh, we get back to court, and um, we get into. The witness testimony in this, again, just <laughs> high stakes divorce trial. And his opposing si- the opposing side plays what appears to be damning evidence of infidelity on behalf of Fletcher's client. 
proof that the male voice on that tape is not Mr. Cole himself. You're such a better lover than my husband. Oh my Okay. Do you guys remember at the beginning of the show when I said I saw this with my dad? Yeah. Okay. Very heartwarming movie about a father and son. It was a great time at the movies. Um, but when the sex tape gets gets played here, I, I can count on one hand the number of times I've been more uncomfortable. <laughs> so next to my dad, I was just like, you know, like how when you turtle up. Sure, when, you, when, when you're watching you like, an a, uncomfortable movie with your parents. You need a long German word for Ooh. the feeling of deep, deep discomfort when watching a oh my God. like sex scene with your parents and there's nowhere to go. You're like, should I get up and get a drink? Like, do I go to the other room? Well, what do so I do? it's so crazy here because this is such a heartwarming, it's a family movie. Right. Like, I mean, yeah. it's about a, a father reuniting with his son and there's this like explicit like sex tape in the middle of it. So Fletcher tries to counter this with... Testimony from a guy named Kenneth Falk, portrayed by, I believe, one of the two Dukes of Hazard. Uh, right? I, I, I did not look that up. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I think I looked that up. I could be that could be wrong, and it could be. I some... want you to be right. Okay, though. great, great. We'll just we'll leave it to the listeners. I'll leave it in the comments, guys. That in. Uh, but you know, this is a great example of Fletcher would have just had the guy lie on the stand. But this is where we get into the whole idea of he can't even ask questions where he believes that the answer will be a lie. I like he does something here that, Amber, you had were sort of alluding to before about the limitations of him not being able to lie. I do like the needle that he tries to thread about. It's very lawyerly him trying to ask the questions in the least deceptive way. It says something to the effect of like Mr. Falk. Would I be accurate if I described your not. relationship with my client? It's totally pl platonic. Not, and then he can't even do it. It's like that part is at, like if a lawyer if, if if a lawyer were somehow afflicted with this condition, they would do something like that. Yeah, you make a good point there, Alex. That does speak to what it's like the one I would time it kind happens. of want that more of that in this movie. Yeah, because there is so much parsing of language <laughs> among good intentioned non-hexed attorneys. Yes. So you would think that, yeah, in a movie like this, you get more of him trying to like slyly get around it. Mm -hmm. And it escalates from there. And eventually the hex takes over to the point where he is affirmatively screaming at his own witness. Bad baby, bad baby. Did you ever not make <laughs> Did you? <gasps> Mystery. You had sex with her every time you met, didn't you? Didn't you? Liar. He's badgering the witness. It's his witness. Yes. Objections and sustained are one of the biggest things in legal movies that is often overplayed, but this, they work it into the premise of this movie amazingly. Yeah. So at this point, the case uh, appears to be lost. There is this damning uh, audio evidence. There is, Fletcher has convinced his own witness to sort of make the case for the other side. But then Fletcher has an epiphany and it's uh, <laughs> it's interesting because it's rooted in the truth about Samantha having lying, having lied about her age and uh, the, you know, the, what the truth is about what her age is. My client lied about her age. She was only 17 when she got married, which makes her a minor. And in the great state of California, no minor can enter into any legal contract without parental consent, including prenuptial agreements. Prenuptial agreements. This contract is void. The fact that my client has been ridden more than Seattle slew is irrelevant. Standard community property applies and she is entitled to half of the marital assets or 11.395 million dollars. Jordan Faisback, swoosh, and that's the game. Nothing further, your honor. So, I suppose we'll talk in a in a 
short moment about the some of the legal gaps here, and that's what that part of the show is for. So taking it on its own terms, it's fairly cathartic storytelling. I mean, it's like pretty like, you know, the I the idea that you would have to tell the truth to win a case is like a remote experience in the in the world of this movie. Um, but it's, you know, it's 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 interesting to see him, you know, sort of come to this almost by accident. Yeah, it's some tidy storytelling, but yeah. in a way that I think you actually want to see in a comedy, that you don't want it to be so complicated that you take away from Jim Carrey just doing a big Jim Carrey performance. So I think the idea that they invert it and he can win this case based on the truth is like a nice little trick. But of course, if he had lost if he had lost the case because of his lying, it would have been the movie would have us believe the right outcome because then we immediately <laughs> see that this, you know, this woman is a monster oh, yeah. and the dad is actually the good guy and you know, so yeah. Uh, the scene also has one of my uh, favorite lines. Uh, uh, again, very low key joke uh, when they're going back and forth about her hair color and uh, whether she's a blonde or a brunette. And Jim Carrey just goes, "We can listen to the tape again. Maybe it's on there." <laughs> like literally one of my because like the whole thing just blew up in his face. But yeah, um, it's uh, yeah. I, I wonder about the about like the, the the heel turn for like that she's like yelling at the housekeeper and like, well, I think she's sort of you know yeah. he's she's positioned to be. Uh, not a great character. Oh yeah, no, 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 yeah. Um, I'm but, not a babe in the woods. Yeah. yeah. Uh, of course, your legal movie bingo card is about to be filled up because uh, Fletcher is then thrown in contempt. He has the classic line, "I hold myself in oh, contempt." Yes. I manipulated the system. Just because you bought it doesn't mean I'm right. It's a technicality. Young man, having my judgment mocked in my own court is not something I'm prepared to tolerate. Well, maybe you can tell that to the kids when they're adopted. By the Manson family! One more word out of you, Mr. Reed, and I'll hold you in contempt. I hold myself in contempt! Why should you be any different? Bennett, take him away. This man is a good father, and children are not leveraged! Oh, no, don't do that! I have a date to play ball with my son! I can't be late! It's my last chance! I will take it, Seiko! He's thrown into jail. His secretary bails him out. Also, secretary, have a little dignity for yourself. Yeah, come you know, on. This guy's awful. Right Don't up. go bail him out. Yeah. Uh, goes to the airport, commits some light terrorism, <laughs> uh, stops a plane with a, said terrorism, uh, gets his <laughs> his wife and son to stop flying to Boston. Yes. Nearly nearly dies. Um, there's a lot at the end, but he has this cathartic moment where he, you know, he, 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 he reconciles with his son. He tells the truth, even though his, the 24 hours have expired. It's a, it's a heartwarming ending. It is. So that gets us to the end of the movie. Let's jump into what they got right and wrong. Whenever we do <laughs> some of these more ridiculous movies, the yeah. devil's advocates of the world, uh, you know, there's a lot they got wrong. I, there sure is, Bill Donahue. Um, <laughs> I'm kind of chomping at the bit to get to this one. I yeah. know it takes some of the wind out of the sails of comedy to be too nitpicky about it, but this movie takes some real liberties, uh, some real big swings. Preach. Tell us. I'd like to actually start backwards, and I think, Alex, I know you did a little research into this too. Let's start with the ending of the movie because I think it might be one of the more glaring Sort of strange conclusions. So, well, here's the thing. Like, the idea that because she lied about her age, the prenuptial agreement is now voided. 
and that just like ends the dispute is pretty crazy. And actually, if you do even just like a little bit of research, a lot of like family law and contract law people have actually been arguing about this on the internet for, I don't know, 20 years now, <laughs> uh, more than that, um, because they're lawyers and that's what they do. And it's the internet. Yeah, and it is the internet. That's true. So, I mean, speaking generally in this very from state to state, this takes place in California, of course, minors can generally move to void a contract that they've entered into. But there's very often a window in which they have to do that after which they waive the right to do that. And that can vary between six months and two years, depending on circumstances. The uh, couple in this case has been married for several right. years. They have small children. So for the real legal nerds out there, that's the difference between void and voidable. Yeah, right. And so it's voidable for a certain period, but because she stayed in the marriage, uh, it's like she ratified that contract. Yes. The other thing, yeah, that and that gets to the idea of like ratifying it by conduct, which yep. is what you're saying. And Actual, then also, yep. though, I mean, the idea that his lawyers would just kind of wave the white flag, it wouldn't say uh, the woman con- committed fraud. And she should not be able to benefit from the from the fraud. I don't think it's a stretch to think about a lawyer who would immediately file a brief on that. Well, that's the thing we see in a lot of these movies is they <laughs> yeah. want a tidy, yes, you know, way to uh, conclude the story in one scene in front of the viewers. It's like in A Few Good Men where Kevin Bacon just summarily charges him with murder sure. in the same courtroom. It's sort of similar to that where they, yeah. there has to be this like – the argument has worked yes. or, you know, that that we are getting to a resolution. I mm. find this one to be more glaring because if even if you buy into the idea that the age factor makes the prenup void, then I think the next logical thought is, well, then the marriage itself is also void. Right. That's not the case, though. I also thought that um, because that's I, I thought that for years. And then I learned about a little something in California called a Marvin claim. Do you guys know about this? I think I have the friends read that you this. made along the way in these Reddit boards about <laughs> liar, liar, uh, legal theory are, are the, you know. I think that's the real the real takeaway from here. Uh, yeah, the, these are my special friends. Um, <laughs> we have Zooms. It's a whole thing. Um, but uh, California has a Marvin claim, and this is basically California's version of common law marriage. It dates back to a state Supreme Court decision from 1976 that actually has a, a movie connection. It, it involved the actor Lee Marvin, who was in a uh, a domestic partnership with a woman for uh, like seven years, and then they split up, and it. The, the, the court, the, the, the holding of the court was that non-marital partners have the right to enforce expressed or implied agreements for support or property sharing in the event of a separation, which is a long way of saying that even if you're not married, you can you can enjoy the property benefits of a marriage if you separate. Mm. But none of that gets rid of the fact that there are several affirmative defenses to this lack of to this like lack of contract formation uh, that she's arguing. Without disappearing too far down the rabbit hole, the point is this would be litigated extensively. I think we can say that. Definitely. Okay. Definitely. So you what got, else we got? You got to, I think you got to hand that off to the appellate department of yeah. Fisher yeah. Reed's law firm. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, I mean, they do do a lot of they stuff. They do everything. So I'm sure they have that. Full well. service. Yes. I mean, can we just talk for one beat about just general professional responsibility and how that, how cavalierly that's handled in this movie? Sure. Yes. I I know we sort of buzzed by it pretty quickly when we were setting up that Miranda is an evil boss, that she was actively soliciting attorneys at the firm who were willing to lie as part of a case. Mm -hmm. I get that that makes sense in terms of just immediately telling you who she is and what this movie's all about. But it's wild because people do do things that are unethical as lawyers. That happens. Would they be so dumb as to just say it in their office right. like, to and, a bunch of other attorneys? And uh, in the the sort of pitch meeting with uh, Samantha Cole, 
there's like a written memo of the way that they are going to lie. Yeah. And it's like, I, I you got to think they'd be smarter, smart enough not to write it all down. Not that I want to give people tips about how to be unethical attorneys, but these are some real basic things not yeah. to do. Well, any tips of what not to do can be read in the in the inverse. So really <laughs> sure. don't 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 beat yourself up about that. Also, uh, in the first court scene, Fletcher jumps at the chance to like and Im- immediately wants to begin settlement negotiations. He hasn't talked about that with his client. Generally a big no, no. Um, One real piece <laughs> of uh, truth here was the bathroom at the courthouse. That is what bathrooms yes. and courthouses look Good like. Call. Having been in a number of them, <laughs> yeah. just really old sort of like Marbled. fixtures and marble, mm-hmm. a lot of mosaics. Uh, it's, it's accurate. I like, I like that you're getting us into some location work here because one big problem I have with this movie, uh, we've talked a bit about how it's so crazy to act like Fletcher and the firm just do any old kind of case. Mm -hmm. They take it all. Um, but I think what's even crazier is that this is purported to be one of the biggest cases the firm has Yeah, and they've handed it to an associate. That is very unusual. He might and, be counsel or something. Mm, I mean, I okay. It's still not a partner. No, no, You'd no, think he'd give something that big to a partner. Yeah. And also, his office in the firm, which we do spend some time in. There's the big scene where he's trying to like uh-huh. say that the pen is blue. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's it's <laughs> a funny scene, but he's all around this giant office. Yeah. An office that has a wet bar. It has a huge desk in it. It has big windows, whatever. Would an associate or an of counsel member have an office like that? It this didn't occur seems to me, but crazy. That's a good call. Yeah, this yeah. is good. This is good. Uh, I hadn't thought about that. This is, these are these are good nits to pick. I mean, again, I know I'm being a little no, a little right. overly harsh, no, but, but yeah. it does seem like Fletcher. Why do you even want to be partner? You've already got it all. <laughs> uh, last thing, uh, just. Actually, it's not the last thing. I have lots of things. But uh, uh, <laughs> another thing. Um, generally, a lot of rope on being held in contempt um, when compared – like the, the thing that makes my cousin Vinny so great, of course, is that Vinny is breaching courtroom etiquette left and right and gets repeatedly held in contempt. Mm-hmm. Here, Fletcher is acting like an absolute lunatic from start to finish of this entire trial. And that's not until he like personally insults the judge that right. he's held in contempt. Um, obviously, if – I mean – that's that's uh, pretty nitpicky, but I didn't. Want I would to like to give unremarked upon. I would love to give the the judge here some shouts. That yes, that, uh, great great job. This mm-hmm. this actor. I, I I think I read somewhere that this was one of his very last roles. He and, he, he died like shortly after yeah. they they uh, wrapped filming. Very but sad. he was he was a uh, you know, anytime you have a ridiculous courtroom scene in a film, you need the judge to carry a lot of the. You you know, the, yeah, and and I thought he did a good job. I do wonder a lot about the fallout for Fletcher the next day after uh, this one. <laughs> well, this is part of our we're going to write fanfic. You're going to need yes. to to explain this to me because he has scenes where he goes around a boardroom table and insults all of the other uh, lawyers at the firm. <laughs> he walks down hallways insulting people yeah. and acting oh, generally yeah. <laughs> crazy. And um, I guess none of that matters to anybody. Well, we didn't even talk about the boardroom scene, but that scene absolutely rocks. I have a great time watching that well, one. Yeah, that gets to that's when I when I said that this is as funny as a person can be. That's basically what I'm talking about. Like, I mean, he's vibrating on an entirely different plane. He pulls the guy's wig off. It's yeah, just like right on the on the wall. At one point, he's just like, "I hate all of you." Yes. Um, <laughs> I have a question for you guys. Sure. Uh, if we're pulling at some threads here, I have questions about the case that they were trying to present. If he was allowed to lie. It appears that he puts Falk on the stand and just asks him to deny having an affair. But they have the tape. And presumably they know about the tape because it's a civil case and they know what evidence they're going to present. And that seems like a huge smoking gun. She is 
having she she admits to having an affair. She says, well, "You're such a better lover than my husband." On the tape, and I don't really know if it was gonna if it was gonna work out for him. Right? Maybe um, you know, maybe if they didn't have. Maybe if they couldn't say who was on the other end of the tape. Could that, be. But it any... seemed to me like they were trying to um, maybe go for some kind of jury nullification kind of vibe here because they were trying to make the argument that she was forced into having the affair because the husband effectively abandoned her. But that was more – but he says that when she asks if it's a problem that the defense is dishonest because she's like – it's. she says um, – it's not true. Is that going to be a problem? And that's when he pivots to he's trying to convince her to make this like fraudulent case. Right. By saying you're the victim and you've been pushed into because if if we're to understand what the movie says, any infidelity um, nullifies the, the, the prenup. Right. So With, within the four corners of this text. Yes. As we understand it. I'm just saying, like, it doesn't seem like it was that strong of a case to begin with. <laughs> and he's they're just going to get him on the on the stand and say. He's going to ask Falk, did you ever have an affair with my client? He'll say no. Then the 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 uh, the husband's lawyers are going to get up there and play a tape where she's obviously having an affair. This case, reeked you... from the, this case reeked from the beginning. 15 years in, I still have to explain <laughs> to you how we pay the rent. Thank you. This is the Alex, crossover. Are, are you telling me that the ultimate point of this movie is that he had to be cursed into telling the truth because his lies were going to lose? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I, I didn't I think, know that was the takeaway, but I, I think, guess it is. I think this is the only route to victory, and they might not have ever found it otherwise. Wow. Um, but I, but I, uh, we, we the have, truth always prevails. We can't know. <laughs> we are mainlining the secret truth of the universe, right? Now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, I know we've really picked apart uh, the things this movie gets wrong. Let's talk for one second about one scene that I think they get very, very right. Mm -hmm. We alluded to it earlier. It's the one where he's um, got his car has gotten scratched and he's talking to the <laughs> yeah. the guy. He's like a motor pool kind of guy or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's at the impound. Um, there is an exchange between them where Fletcher's really worked up and upset about the scratch in his car and then eventually <laughs> comes out with um, the ultimate resolution to those kind of small claims. You scratched my car! Where? Right there! Oh, there. That's already there. You! You liar! You know what I'm gonna do about this? What? Nothing! Because if I take you to small claims court, it'll just drain eight hours out of my life, and you probably won't show up. And if I finally got the judgment, you'd just stiff me anyway. So what I'm going to do is piss and moan like an impotent jerk and then bend over and take it up the tailpipe. You've been here before, haven't you? I can see the headline and byline right now against small claims court by Fletcher Reed. It would be in, the, <laughs> it would be in Law 360. It would be, yeah. it, it would be in... Uh, expert analysis. Yeah. I really like this scene because this kind of encapsulates what makes somebody judgment proof, which is a little bit of a concept that's kind of hard to explain to people yeah. where, yeah, that guy did scratch your car and you're right. But by the time you sue him and even if you win, you've spent the time and the money and then he's probably never going to pay you and you're not going to see any real resolution. So all the time, you know, this comes up in real life. And I like this scene a lot because the minute you get a JD, your friends and family start calling you with random oh, questions sure. all the time. <laughs> um, so I get a lot of, you know, low stakes stuff. And I can't tell you how many times I've said, all right, this is just my personal opinion. I'm not your lawyer, but you should not pursue this. This is not <laughs> worth it. You're never going to get what you want out of this. So I really like that moment in the movie. 
Well, let's wrap this thing up. I mean, I had a blast watching this. I had this movie on VHS as a kid. So throwing it back on uh, in 2021 was quite a good time. It's, you know, I don't have like a profound take here. I mean, it was, it was, it's a, it's a, it's a ridiculous premise and they let an extremely funny guy really in the prime of his career cook for two hours. And I thought it was awesome. What did you guys think? I actually think, you know, you guys joked earlier in the show uh, comparing a little bit of this to Michael Clayton. I do think this is the analog to Michael Clayton. I think (laughs) this is the comedy version of it because the themes for me of both movies are can you balance family, your integrity, and winning in big law? And both movies essentially say, not really. Um. I don't think it's a mistake that the first joke you hear in the movie is that the word lawyer sounds like liar. Like that's that remember when they're they're, they're yeah. at the they're at the like career day or sure. whatever they're doing. Um and like I say, like it, telling the truth in this job is treated like so like, oh, this is you could never do this job if you aren't allowed to lie. Like this is crazy. And um, you know, I made this point on the Michael Clayton show as well, Amber, the idea that, you know. Arthur, you know, decides to tell the truth from a place of moral clarity. Fletcher decides to tell the truth, doesn't decide to tell the truth. He's forced to tell the truth by mystical powers. Non-consensual mystical powers. Which we cannot (laughs) begin to understand as as has been demonstrated here. Um, So, I mean, I think in terms of like sort of a, like you say, Bill, I don't want to overread or make it like it has some grand thesis or whatever. Um, But it takes a pretty cynical view, I think, of the profession. Also, and... um, Feel free to rein me in if you guys think I'm uh, getting a little too film schooly on this one. But remember, Amber, when you were like, you know, why can't like, you know, why can't he just be quiet? And why does sure. his struggle to to tell the truth result in these like grotesque outbursts? Again, the answer to the question is because that's Jim Carrey and that's what you do. That's what he does when you cast him. But I I like to think of it as like. It's an interesting face to put on like the like core of the legal profession. The idea that like if you if you take away these like a lawyer's inability to lie, this is all he becomes this like this absurd like howling monster who can't who can't even function in society. Like this is this is crazy. Like he he's just he's making guttural noises and like he can't even just say like, hello, how are you? Uh It's like his whole persona melts around him. Um I don't know if this is this is probably not what's intended by the text, but you know, this is what happens when art percolates for for two decades. Yeah, I think that's a fine read. I mean, yeah. the 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 sort of grotesqueness that you see from him, you know, trying to hammer home that that cynical message about the profession. And, yeah, because um, he's such like a. I mean, when you know before he's afflicted with it or whatever, he's just kind of a smarmy like you know, hey, how's it going? You guys are like all on the up game. And once you, once that artifice is gone, all that's left with is like, is like, you know, like something unholy and grotesque. Um, so now we're comparing it to Devil's Advocate. It's all coming together. There you go. <laughs> yes. We're going to have to have a final wrap up show where we, you know, find some, some, some thesis from all of these and put it together. <laughs> I'm working on a paper. Guys, I had a great time. We'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us today on the Pro Se Movie Club. We'd like to thank our producer, Stephen Trader, for editing today's show, and our graphic designer, Chris Yates. Music from the show comes from Ashley Shadow. Please join us next week for the next installment of the Pro Se Movie Club when we'll be talking about A Time to Kill, 
Joel Schumacher's 1996 adaptation of the John Grisham courtroom drama. 